That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Hey, Jake. Aaron. We made it through Easter. We did. I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, we're recording this way before Easter, but... But at this moment, I got as, faith the, as, the, as the episode drops, I believe you and I are probably still in our own tomb. The tomb of heavenly rest. That's right. Where reverend <laughs> sheets and pastor pillows provide presides. So anyway, that's right. We'll be we'll be spending extra time at First Mattress Church, <laughs> and uh, drinking all the uh, like uh, half bottled open bottles of prosecco that no one drank the night before. So it's a little flat, but still delicious. So do you have? Is that because you have prosecco at your Easter vigil, like afterwards? Yeah. And uh, and we usually invite a few folks over for um, Easter brunch afterwards. So the circle of trust. Yeah, the circle of trust. So, but uh, this particular episode, the second Sunday of Easter, is dedicated to all the curates, associate rectors, and uh, honorary assistants out there whose uh, job it is to preach today. So, I'm dedicating this particular episode to Jim Monroe, uh, who's serving at St. Andrews in Springfield, Massachusetts. And uh, I'm also dedicating this episode to uh, Chloe Edmondson, who is our seminarian, and uh, her handle's the Low Anthro Anglican. And so, um, check her out. Well, can I do a dedication? Uh, yeah, absolutely, you can. Uh, Aaron, you Neil can McGowan. Always, yeah, go ahead. Our associate rector, I think we've already dedicated an episode to him, but uh, he will be, his last Sunday at St. Albans Waco will be... April 24th, second Sunday of Easter, and then he'll be going to St. John the Divine as their new associate rector in Houston, Texas. So Great church. St. John the Divine, blessings on you. You will be uh, just so glad to have Neil and Jennifer with you. Uh, and uh, and Neil, as our associate, you will be preaching this Sunday. But it won't be a low Sunday for us because all these people will come out to, to bid Neil farewell because mm. they, they love him and his family so much. Genius. So, I see what you right. did there. So See? See? <laughs> all right. So... Here we go. This uh, this Sunday has readings from Acts chapter 5, a, a kind of post-resurrection encounter that uh, Peter and some of the apostles have uh, um, in Acts chapter 5. And then we have Revelation 1, 4 through 8, which is John speaking about Jesus uh, and kind of talks about this eschatological vision of what Jesus' resurrection accomplishes for us. And then John chapter 20, where we have the doubting Thomas encounter. Jesus goes to meet the disciples in these um, kind of uh, spooky days after the resurrection, very early after the resurrection. Uh, This is actually the, this is, this is Easter Sunday, but it's kind of this like, yeah, um, still no trumpet evening of that day. Yeah, they're still like reeling and figuring out like the re- there's reports of the resurrection, but they haven't seen them yet or some have. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so that's John 20. Um, and we'll talk about all these things. And uh, but uh, uh, let's launch. Let's so we got Acts 5. Mm-hmm. 
Temple police bring the apostles. Well, really what this uh, this particular passage is all about is uh, the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation. <laughs> which is in the so, collect, which we, we've already discussed is lame because <laughs> it uses the most obscure term for Easter. It's like the Paschal mystery. I guarantee you 0% of the people in your congregation know what the heck that is. But uh, anyway. it means Jesus rose from the dead. So, and it's good news. So what's happening here so far in this section of Acts is that, yeah, the uh, apostles have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, they just, as that, that great song goes, they just can't fight this feeling anymore. And so, can't fight it. Yeah, and so everywhere they're going, um, they are just preaching the gospel. And they're preaching the gospel. They're not preaching life tips. They're preaching uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, they are preaching the atonement don't let anybody tell you that that was something that just kind of came along a little bit later. Uh, th- this is what they are preaching. And um, uh, and so they are arrested by the temple police. These are the religious police that make sure that everybody is following the law. They're brought before and they are basically called right out. And they're called right out because uh, the apostles, one of the things that they're saying is, is that uh, this Jesus uh, whom you crucified, they're making the point that it's the people there also crucified, um, that basically, you know, they're like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you saying that this man's blood's on us? Because word is out too that he's risen from the dead. And this is terrifying because everybody thinks that uh, God is their enemy. But the disciples basically, they hone in on the gospel and they say, we just can't fight this feeling anymore. And they give him the gospel. Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging on a tree, because going back to the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And indeed, Jesus was cursed because he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Well, uh, that's not the final word. Rather, God is exalted and put him at the right hand. Uh, This is the hand. The right hand is the hand of mercy. And so um, as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins, because this promise is for the people of Israel as well. And uh, these guys are witnesses to it. You know what I mean? So this is true. Uh, This is legal language. And so and uh, and uh, this is good for you as well. Yeah, I think another thing you can talk about on this Sunday is the fact that this reading from Acts is taking place about two months after the resurrection. So it's after Pentecost, which is 50 days. So we give a little extra time. Let's just call it two months and contrast this with our last reading that your congregation is going to hear the gospel reading from John, where it's on the night of Easter Sunday and they're still kind of terrified. And the transformation that occurs from that night to this Sunday or this time with this, this encounter in the temple in Acts 5 is it's, it shows what the Holy Spirit does. It shows what the truth of the resurrection does in the life of the believer. Like death is defeated. Sin is defeated. And forgiveness is real. Peter and all the disciples have now really gotten the fact that they are forgiven and their sins have been washed away. And so they are just so overflowing, compelled to share this message. And the fact that he says, you killed him, yes, but the message is forgiveness. So they're intimating, implying, communicating quite clearly that forgiveness is offered to them as well because they themselves know that they, yeah, I mean, they're saying you killed him by hanging on a tree, but they also know that they um, didn't speak up when they had the chance. They deserted him and fled and all that uh, sort of stuff. And so they themselves have received this forgiveness. And I think it's just such an amazing thing that he, that part of the message they're telling 
the temple police, the council, all these folks, the high priest is questioning them, uh, is, um, you know, forgiveness is for you too. That's bold. Like, this is incredibly bold. These are uneducated country bumpkins talking to the high priest in Jerusalem. This is like, you know, coming from uh, the Dollar General in Palestine, Texas, and then getting on a plane and showing up in front of the Supreme Court sort of trying to argue your case. Like, but this is what being loved and forgiven does to you. It makes you bold. It makes you confident. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to see. It's wonderful. All right. Now we move to uh, Revelation 1, which is, so this is verses 4 through 8. So it's the very beginning of Revelation. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's again, for, if you have newcomers there, they're going to be like, John is speaking to the seven churches in Asia. They'll be like, oh, I didn't know there were churches in um, in China and uh, Singapore and Indonesia so early in the church history. But Asia would have been Turkey back then, sort of what we now know as the country of Turkey. Um, and there were uh, churches in that region, and this is a revelation, a, a, a revealing, a vision that John, this St. John, who's often called St. John the Divine, possibly not the same John that wrote the gospel, also called St. John the Evangelist. So John the Divine is um, having this vision, and he's, he's saying this message to these seven churches in these different cities, Thyatira, Laodicea, Philadelphia, etc. And uh, he says this is a message from Jesus, grace to you, and he reminds them who they are. And so even though this is written to seven specific churches in the first century, uh, it is also to the church now, broadly speaking, in the church where you'll be preaching. And I think, gosh, it's just, we never don't need to hear that God loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And if I were preaching this passage, that's what I would say. You have been freed from your sins, not because you've stopped sinning or not because you've groveled really hard and just so sincerely to the Lord, but because of the blood of Jesus, because of what he has done. And that's what I would talk about. So what would you talk about? I would say the exact same thing. And then I would follow. Woo, we match. Uh, yeah. Yay. Jinx. Surprise. Um, but uh, not, not at all. But, uh, but then, but I'd also talk about the effects of his blood because here we are in the Easter season. And uh, the effects of his blood is that it has made us to be a kingdom. So uh, basically, you know, a kingdom has a dominion. And uh, the kingdom of God now, because of the death and resurrection, I love what uh, the great Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper once said, there's not one square inch. I thought you were going to say R.J. Heyman. Well, he's the second best. Um, But uh, there is not one square inch. (laughs) That's really funny. Great Dutch theologian, Rutger Jan Heyman. (laughs) There's not one square inch of this world that the Lord Jesus Christ does not now declare as mine. This is mine. Yeah, this is his. Yeah. And so so the whole world, so he's made us to be a kingdom, so it's made up of the entire world. But we're to be priests serving his God and Father. You know what I mean? And so there's like this idea going back to the book of uh, Exodus where when the people come out and the Mosaic Covenant is made and God says, if you do all of these things, I will make you a kingdom of priests, a priestly kingdom, a.k.a. a nation that is so loved by God and vice versa that it's actually drawing the world to worship God. 
And so, and that's what we do when we serve. So this is the effects of his blood is that the gospel has so reconciled us that whether you know it or not, you now belong to this amazing dominion and you are actually being used as a priest, not in a sense of um, uh, atoning sacrifice, but as St. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, you become, an ato- you become a living sacrifice, aka out there serving your neighbor, bringing people to God, uh, because to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And uh, that, but this also is a very powerful thing too. I love this, this powerful thing that he's coming again. And every eye is going to eventually see what this is. And uh, we're all going to be, you know, this is so, you know, that's amazing. And that he, this is, there's a beginning and there's an end. And in the midst of it, we are priests uh, serving in his kingdom. Yep. John 20. Now we're going kind of back in time because the Revelation reading is from, you know, kind of several decades after Jesus' earthly ministry. Mm -hmm. The first reading from Acts was like two months after Jesus' resurrection. And now we're way even back, like the night of the first Easter. So evening on that day, first of the week. And you and I talked a little about in the the pre-show preparation uh, about how we sort of have the same message here, which is that the message of John 20 is that Jesus doesn't need you to open the door for him to come in. Mm. There's so much teaching and no offense to that painting uh, where it shows Jesus knocking on the door and there's no doorknob on the outside and all that sort of stuff. But uh, Jesus has no problem with locked doors. He doesn't have any problem with... Uh, Um, people that are trying to keep him out because his love is so great that he can just come in and here they are afraid you know one thing we talk a lot about on this podcast um because it is contrary and i think a a i think a life-giving correction to the message of so many churches and books and christian conferences and sermons and whatever that so much of christianity is about what you do uh and you need to open the door for jesus and you need to make way for jesus and i've heard, you and i have both heard sermons where it's like you know clear out stuff in your life so the lord can come in and it's like no here they are no faith terrified door is locked even though they've heard of the resurrection they don't really believe it and jesus comes in the room even though the doors are locked and he says peace be with you and there are places in your life uh in your heart uh that you want healing, you need healing, but you're sort of scared to open the door. You're scared to talk about it. You're scared to address it. Um, and Jesus comes in those places and says, peace be with you. Mm. So many people are so scared of God all the time, scared of being honest about who they are, um, scared of admitting weakness, failure, defeat, anything like that. And Jesus comes in those places and says, peace be with you. Amen. Uh, and it's it's amazing. What a, so what a, that's what I would talk about here. What, what a great word, you know, peace peace be with you. You know, I mean, we are expecting God to get in there and say, look what you did. You know what I mean? We're expecting God. What were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you read the text? So, um, yeah. but uh, no, he comes in and he says to these frightened people, peace be with you. Um, but then he breathes on them and he gives them the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. A.K. you're going to deliver law and gospel. This is what you're going to do when you're filled with the Spirit. It's interesting, the Coptic church, I think, believe uh, they still breathe into a bag that they have like held this breath for all these years. It's uh, amazing. Might be the Jacobite, Syrian Jacobite church, but you don't even need to talk about that. But the question that I want to know, along with, you know, I think of Dr. John all the time when I read this passage. I was in the right place 
but it must have been the wrong time. You know, where <laughs> the heck is Thomas? Where is Thomas? You know, uh, you know, he's out there smoking a cigarette. Was he getting milk? Where is Thomas? Yeah, where, where, where the heck is Thomas? And uh, how many of us have, you know, kind of missed that moment, you know? And uh, and literally, he says this: unless I see the na- marks, the nails in my hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hands, and in his side, I will not believe. Now, here you'll oftentimes hear horrible, horrible sermons also about how <laughs> doubt is a good thing. Uh, that is that is that's not right. That's incorrect. Doubt is not a good thing. Now, each and every one of because doubt is the opposite of uh, faith. Faith takes God at his word. It believes what he said, and that is what's credited to us as righteous. Uh, This is a sinner uh, right here, and this is the statement of a sinner. Unless God does what I want, I will not believe. What's literally happening here is Thomas is putting God to the test. And uh, that needs, like, so don't go the route, doubt's a good thing, yay, we all have doubts. No, the testimony of this particular passage is is that Jesus comes in and he doesn't say, dang it, Thomas, what do I got to do? You know what I mean? (laughs) He doesn't, like, drop the Will Smith smack on, you know, on Thomas right there. No, he comes in and he says the same thing to Thomas, peace be with you. To the doubting sinner, God's word in Jesus Christ is peace be with you. And he yeah, demonstrates and right there really quick with his, his hands. And I don't think the, the Garavaggio painting is correct with Thomas, like basically sticking his hand inside. I think it's super cool. But the point is, is not that Thomas touched it, but that Thomas, the wounds of Jesus uh, healed Thomas's doubt. The wounds of Jesus changed this sinner from unless God does what I want to him dropping to his knees and saying, my Lord, my God. Now, this is why Jesus says, if you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Or in other words, I'm not doing this for every Tom, Dick and Harry. Uh, People are going to believe the testimony of the apostles because they will receive the spirit because you've received the spirit. And uh, that's really, I mean, I think what we're getting, but it's not doubts a good thing, but the wounds of Jesus, the wounds of Jesus in this word uh, heal your doubts. And I would say, you know, I've heard that sermon about doubt being a good thing and that this is like, and and there's there's a certain strain with the Episcopal Church that almost seems to see doubt as like a virtue and we need to just celebrate our doubt. And uh, that's probably true in mainline denominations and uh maybe that's uh hitting close to home for some of our listeners but i would say go ahead can i just say what that's actually about and uh because i hear a lot of people and this might freak some people out but i think it needs to be said there's a lot of people that podcast just uh, got good spicy on the second sunday of lent when no one's or second sunday easter when no one's listening but there is this kind of pitch about doubt is good and that somehow that's like the virtue of a thinking person's religion you know what I mean? And you don't have to hang your door at the hat at the door. But the, the, but the fact of the matter is, is that oftentimes this idea of doubt as a virtue is uh, uh, and that, you know, we're the thinking person is a mask for the fact that we're not really thinking about the text. We're not actually engaging with the scripture and what it's saying, because nowhere in this passage does it extol Thomas um, as being virtuous for his doubts. Yeah. And I think I, I would just want to say, like, 
we're not saying that you should shame your congregation for having no, doubts. Like, no, no, no. Th- one of the points I and, might have just a little ab- bit, and the fact that they didn't know what the Paschal mystery was. <laughs> I know, but so doubt is it is good from the pulpit to say that doubt is normal. Yes. and it is good to say from the pulpit that doubt uh, is is the natural part of everybody's kind of quote unquote. I wish there were a better term for this faith journey. Like everybody will have times of doubt, and. The res- so what we're saying is don't say doubt is good, no big deal. Say like, yeah, doubt is another way that our own kind of self-absorbed sinful nature uh, rears its head. Mm. And God's response to that is the same as every time our sinful nature rears its ugly head, which is to forgive it <laughs> and say, look at my wounds peace be with you. and offer grace and peace be with you is what he says. Ah. So there is something freeing, like what we're not saying, there are churches that were like, you doubt, like, uh, blah, blah, like hellfire brimstone. That, no. Normalize it. Everybody has it. And Jesus' response here, like he always has in his responses to humans in their struggle and in their pain and their sin, is to say, I forgive. And so, yeah. Uh, My point I think simply this is that it's freedom. not a virtue. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It is. And you're right. There is this desire to extol it and like celebrate our doubt. And that's not what this, this does not, It it's a beautiful story because it does. I mean, it's so courageous of the writers to put this in. It's so honest and it's so real. And, uh, and yeah, so this is, this I think gives room for all the doubters in your congregation to know that Jesus is his resurrection. Again, like we said, uh, or we said before, like it doesn't depend on you. Like and, even though Thomas still doubts, and, the resurrection is real. And, and yeah, so that's and all. that's the that's the that's the main point of the closing sentence in verse thirty-one. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written not that you'll continue to doubt and question everything, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name, because it's belief in the Son that credits us as righteous. And uh, it's belief in those wounds, uh, boy, that forgives all those sins, you know. And, uh, and uh, it is belief in those wounds where you begin to hear God say to you from a pulpit, and you begin to hear him say to you in bread that is his body and wine that is his blood, uh, peace be with you. And that's how you should end your sermon. On the second Sunday of Easter. Peace be with you. And that's what I want to tell you, Jake. Peace be with you. And with thy spirit. (laughs) Let us pray. Just kidding. All right. That'll do it. We'll see you guys uh, next week for the third Sunday in Easter as we march our way towards Pentecost and the Holy Spirit when everybody will be fully sanctified and there will be no more sinners in your congregation. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.